Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I think I shared a year yesterday that Stroh was going was gonna to make his, uh, another sim, uh, sim game start, and then, you know, we'll go from there. The feedback on his last sim outing, it was great. Uh, he threw 85 pitches, five innings. He did some... Um, PFP work, you know, to te- te- uh, test uh, the calf moving around and pushing off and everything, you know, per uh, medical was, was, you know, pretty good. It was clear. So he wanted to do another one just to play it safe and see how how, uh, how we felt coming out of it and then, and then come join us. So that's what we were as far as status with him. Uh, so, you know, today, you know, in the morning was definitely a surprise. But once again, I mean, we, we fully support. You know, we, we were living and surviving without Marcus. He's such a big part of who we are, both in terms of not only his talent, but also his energy. And, you know, we'll miss him. There, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, what this, uh, what this team has shown already and what I'm confident they will do going forward is, is, uh, is have the next man stand up and keep, and keep fighting. You know, we recognize that there are, you know, all sorts of challenges associated with this season. And uh, this, is, this is another one. But, you know, we we're prepared to, to go forward and that'll be our, be our focus, you know, and in the, in the immediate term, you know, this is about Marcus and wanting to make sure we're supporting him and supporting his family and want to make sure that all players, you know, are factoring in their own individual circumstances when they make their, make their decisions. He waited for a breaking ball and skies it straight away center. See you later. Way up the batter's eye. And the Nats are making City Field look rather small tonight. It's 5 nothing.
Welcome to a special edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Tuesday, August the 11th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a personal note, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, uh, I think you and I just spoke, what, less than 24 hours ago or about 24 hours ago, and that's what the business is all about. You put a podcast out, and sure enough, a few hours later, it's pretty much stale, and you say to yourself, do I rewrite it? Well, no. Uh, instead of waiting till Sunday, I could come to you with this special edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Uh, you Listen, you heard the clips. You know the news about Marcus Stroman, uh, a pretty uh, ironic night where the Nats put up 16 runs and a number of bombs that go out of City Field off of Steven Matz and others. And I, I see the Twitter comments, and I you know I don't listen really to talk radio and call-in shows that much anymore. It doesn't do much for me, but I could only imagine, as uh, what is it, Bob Raceman calls it, the Valley of the Stupid, uh, you know, how they're playing armchair quarterback. But if you're wondering where the 2020 Mets season made a turn, made a turn for the worse and made a turn for the difficult. It wasn't yesterday. It was back in March, right around when it would have been opening day, in the midst of the pandemic, during all the shutdowns, during you know a time where nobody was really thinking about sports, and you weren't thinking about the Mets, the Mets rotation, what the opening day roster would be. You were trying to survive. You were trying to make a living. You were worried about the next paycheck, staying safe. I mean, it was buried in the midst of the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic. And the news came down, and we didn't really even—we talked about it. I think we mentioned it when we were doing the shows. But Noah Syndergaard went down with Tommy John surgery. And that's when this whole season got dicey. Not when Zach Wheeler walked out the door. Not yesterday when Stroman opted out. It's when when Noah Syndergaard went down. The Mets went— in a matter of just a few months, from four starters in the top 25 in all of baseball, down to one in Jacob deGrom. And look, that's never a good thing, but it's okay if you beef up in other areas. And what you did is you tried to beef up on the bullpen. And we know, and we've talked about how we, you know, how I, at least I feel how good I think the offense can be. And I think, uh, you know, that's a strength on this team. And I think the team is changing the way that it's being built away from a foundation of starting pitching to more of a a young core of offensive players. But at that point, the 2020 Mets were already kind of in trouble and there were warning signs, and now they're in real trouble. Because, as I said yesterday, just 24 hours ago, this rotation was already thin and not a strength of this team. It was a team that you had to get 9 to 12 outs, maybe nightly out of the bullpen, and you had to make sure that offense was clicking and at least getting five runs a game. You can't play this, well, you know, they're four and a half, you know, maybe they'll have some good nights. They need to get five runs a game. No Syndergaard, now no Stroman. Uh, Wheeler out the door. Uh, you got DeGrom, uh, you know, Mats, who's maddening. Like I said, there's going to be those non-competitive starts that drive you nuts. That's why... I don't think he'll ever be a consistent top of the rotation force. Now you're trying to figure out the rest, and that's never a, a good recipe. You want to see if you could get guys and, and how those guys could be uh, an asset. 
Well, do you have guys that could give you six innings and three runs? No dominant upside like last year's crew, but just give you a quality start. And I don't know if you have that answer because Michael Walker's not around anymore. Uh, I think you certainly could get that from Porcello. Uh, yes, normally I'd say you get it from Mats, but he's going to go through these periods where he just looks bad, like yesterday. And, uh, you know, David Peterson right now certainly has been giving you that, but it's a couple of starts. He hasn't even been around the, the league a second time, so you, you can't pencil him in at all for any of that stuff. So that's when the season took a turn because to lose a guy with the upside of a of – of a of a Syndergaard, and now not have Strowman, the entire team, how it's been built, the blueprint, is thrown out the window. Now, what's the solution? Before we get into the, the Strowman opt-out, there's still a season to play, and, and things change very quickly. You, know, you think the Braves are feeling good? They lost Fultonevich. That now Newcomb got sent down. Uh, Sorotka is, is, is out. I mean, there's so much going on over there. Uh, they're not packing it in. They're still going to try to compete and win. And the Phillies have their their issues. And I don't think the Marlins are uh, as serious. I know they got some good young players. But, you know, they're still a team that's uh, basically at times you, you wonder if they're, they're 4A or slightly better. So a division that I thought might be the best in baseball is so compromised that I think anybody could sneak in and finish first or second. That's all you have to do. So... From a standpoint of winning and winning in this 60-game season, it's it, it it's going to be difficult, but I don't think it's impossible. This is certainly not a championship team with the way the rotation is built right now. It's just not. I mean, that that was a problem when Syndergaard went down in March. Uh, it's even more of a problem now that uh, Stroman is gone. Now, the solution, and I said this, and I've said this many times in this wacky 60-game season, you must use these starts on young players. Look at what you're learning about Peterson. Now, you can't go in a 60-game wacky season and say you've, you've – even if there's good performances, you can't say, well, now I have all my answers, but it gives you more clarity. You have no minor league development this year with any kind of minor league uh, season. Yeah, you're playing uh, simulation games in Brooklyn, but I still feel the minor leagues, the, com- the competition, you know, going through that process is so important. For young players, I would like to see, you know, you're going to have to first start with guys on the 40-man. You have your Walker Lockets and your Franklin Kilame. Uh, these are the guys that you, you traded for, especially Kilame. You traded to Cabrera, who winds up having a big night. How ironic. be nice if you traded Cabrera as this big night with Washington. It seems like he's, you know, he could always hit. We knew that. It was de- defense that was his problem. Uh, and... Uh, you know, the guy that you traded him for, maybe he comes in and gives you some quality starts. Now, there are guys that aren't young guys that are on, on the 40-man roster right now, uh, like Kevin Smith. But that's what you want to do going forward. You want to use this time to say, hey, how can I learn about the young players? I don't want to see Erasmo Ramirez or Ariel Hirado uh, or pa- Pedro Payano. These guys are in their you know late 20s. They have probably at one point uh, have all been very highly regarded in their organizations. But you know what you're going to get from them. In a 162-game season, what you hope from those guys is that you get a couple of starts. You bridge the gap maybe for a game two. And and you say to yourself, well, it's such a long season. If I could get through the month of June with just plugging in these starts, and then I could start talking to teams about who's available, and then you could acquire somebody. You don't have that option right now. Now, the other 
situation that you look at if you really want to use this and meet the goal and the criteria is do you put Lugo in the rotation and start to commit to saying, hey, whatever service time you have left with Lugo, he wants to be a starter. Starters are difficult to find. We'll talk about the free agent market in a minute. Uh, let me give Lugo the chance to build this up and, and, and build him into a starter for 2021. You deeply weaken your bullpen, but it's definitely going to be easier to find yourself a bullpen arm that you can go out there and compete and win with in the late innings than a starter. Or do you put Gazelman in and see that, you know, is Gazelman somebody who could go back into the rotation? Remember in 2016, you don't make the playoffs without Gazelman and Lugo. And those are guys that replaced Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom, guys that were pitching big outs and big innings a year before in the postseason. You gave Gazelman and Lugo those starts. Gazelman particularly was strong. I thought at that time he was better than Lugo. It turned out to be the other way around. So there are options, and the most important thing, you cannot lose focus on this, is that you have to use this as a chance to learn something that can be beneficial to the 2021 Mets. It's not just about 2020. There's no scenario where it's about 2020. It's about 2021 as well. Now, Marcus Stroman opted out. I don't want to hear sanctimony about the virus and safety. This has nothing, in my opinion. I don't know the guy, and I don't have any information. I don't think it has anything to do with the virus, in my opinion. Did he just hear about the pandemic yesterday? I mean, what happened? I mean, what, the the brawl between the A's and the Astros spooked him? The Cardinals being quarantined? By the way, they had like three guys that had, that had you know, that actually tested positive. Doesn't sound like they're all that sick. And, and you're going to opt out because of that? Because the team can't play for a week? Now, I know all this stuff is making it for... A, a carnival season. That's a whole separate story, and I get that. But he wasn't born yesterday and didn't find out about this yesterday. Similar to Cespedes, I think they use the opt-out as an excuse to save face. I think one of two things are at play here. He didn't want to play in the first place for a variety of reasons. Maybe safety was part of that at the beginning. But he needed to accrue the service time. Basically, he scammed the system. Good for him. He got one on the owners. They always get one on the players. So now, it's, and I'm not going to be one of those guys that gets mad, but let's be honest. Let's be honest about it. His, his reason for not playing is probably more about his body being healthy heading into free agency than anything to do with the coronavirus. Jared Hughes is a guy who was infected a month ago, looked pretty good. You, you, know, you don't want to get this, but you can come back and play and be yourself. We also, the second part of this, although you heard Luis Rojas in the press conference, his calf wasn't responding to the tear. I mean, that's a serious injury. And he probably felt that in the short season, for it to be worth it, rushing back and coming back and putting pressure on his body to come back and compete and win with his team was something that he'd have to do to push himself, get hurt, and now he's heading into free agency. So... In both scenarios, the guy is choosing himself and his career over the league and the team, and I'm okay with that. It sucks as a fan. It sucks when it comes to winning and competing. It's not the most noble way that you want to go into that locker room and look people in the face, but nobody nobody in that locker room will criticize him because everybody has to make a living and everybody has to choose what's best for themselves because in the end, the league, the organization, your teammates, they're not thinking about you in the morning 
They're thinking about themselves, and in the course of them doing the max for their own careers, everybody coming together makes for a pretty good team. That's the best advice I always give people. Nobody's thinking about you in the morning. they got to worry about figuring it out for themselves to stay uh, competitive, make a living, and squeeze whatever juice you have out of this very small orange, which is called a professional sports career, day in and day out. I will never criticize a, a person for taking care of himself and his family for his livelihood. Now, I think Marcus Stroman's a bit of a ham. Uh, you know, I, I don't know crazy about the Instagram workout star stuff, but I know that's a that's a thing, especially in the NBA and in the NFL. That's a, a a thing in this day and age with you know all these different video apps. Eh, he's still uh, since 2015. You run different analytics, different uh, metrics. He's probably a top 25 to 50 pitcher in the ball game. I believe he's a top of the rotation guy. Probably more of a number two or very high end number three. But he's good. And he's somebody that he's every bit as good as what Zach Wheeler would have given you, in my opinion. A different pitcher, but every bit as good. And he's got some flair that I think would be good from a, a marketing standpoint. Marketing to the African-American community marketing to the, the New York fan. I think there was a lot that you could have uh, justified in liking Marcus Stroman and and him being a valuable part of this team. I would make an effort to sign him. Now, it always has stuck out with me. David Wright talked about on a podcast a couple of months ago how Guy Conti said early in his career, there are choices, decisions, and consequences. Now, Marcus Stroman had a choice. He made his decision. There will be consequences from from this. He can still get his free agent deal. I don't think he's getting a long-term deal. I think, I don't know if the players really understand right now, economically, what's about to hit them. At least in the next two to three, maybe five years. This is a bottoming out. This is not the owners being cheap. These are serious economic consequences. 40% of the revenue that a team takes in, if that's the real number of fans not showing up, is in severe jeopardy, even with ordinances being lifted where you are not going to know what you could expect from attendance for the next five years and it's not the virus is just a part of it i think the way that people consume the game is changing i think anybody regardless of what the government tells you regardless of what the media tells you is going to be very careful about going back out and getting into groups especially if they feel their health is at risk and they're not going to do it for a losing team that's selling you on marketing. I'm going to tell you that much right now. They're not going to do that. We've talked about that. So I think his market is going to be depressed. Now, he is one, if you go to the list, of a couple of really high-end. You got him. You got Trevor Bauer. You know, There's a number of guys with club options and mutual options. Uh, depending on the economics of the game, maybe some of these guys, and they're not top of the rotation guys, uh, could become available. I think any player that has an option that's on their end, is probably going to exercise it. I can't see them opting out, going into a very uncertain market, pre-collective bargaining agreement. So he's one of a few. So there is going to be demand from for him, and you still have very wealthy teams at the top, but you still have a league that has a mindset that says, I can develop, I can put my guy at a lesser price that probably could give me not only what Strowman could give you now, but maybe the potential is higher in their minds. Uh, and I don't think bad teams are going to bring a Stroman in to anchor their their rotation. You never know. All it takes is one GM. So I think there's a good chance that he resigns here. He's from the New York area. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe the Yankees become some kind of uh, option, you know, depending on their rotation, what happens with them and how this season 
plays out. But I think there's an advantage, at least for the Mets being in New York. There will be a new owner. The cash flow should be much more flush. So I would re-sign him and put him back in the rotation. But that's a conversation for another day because he comes in, he gets a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal. He could reestablish his value. He's still a very young guy and then go back out maybe in a better free agent market post-collective bargaining. So that, to me, is where this is going to go. Now, the final piece of all this that you're going to hear and talk about that jives me bananas is, look at, oh, my God, Brody Van Wagenen did it again. He gave away all our prospects. Oh, he should have known. Well, first of all, the guy's going to know when he when he made a deal last summer at the trade deadline that the 2020, 2020 season was going to be knocked out by a pandemic because he just knows this stuff. These are the kind of things now you have to prepare for. You can't make deals short-term anymore. What if there's a pandemic that knocks out the league for five years? You know, just like every column has to put the caveat, well, if the season ends, you know, if, if, if. Because now we got to go, if, I'll come home tonight, if, 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 if. We got to put all these caveats because that makes us feel better. That we laid it all on the line. That we weren't one of the ones that, you know, were, you know, head in the sand or, you know, head in the clouds, whatever you want to say. Brody Van Wagenen made a deal knowing that he had a, a Zach Wheeler as a free agent coming up, that his market probably was going to be inflated and that he was a, a health risk on a long-term deal, and he needed a top-of-the-rotation arm or someone comparable that he can plug in. And Stroman came, became available for a unique situation. Guys like usually with that kind of time don't become available. It was at a reasonable cost, and he gave up two pitchers in Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods-Richardson, one of which, uh, to quote Jeff Passan, uh, is a you know basically a useful rotation piece. Maybe he turns into a number three, but I don't think he's ever going to be Jacob Degrom or even Wheeler. And Simeon Woods Richardson, who's a very young and has a lot of potential. Who, by the way, Simeon Woods Richardson now has lost a year of development, had an ERA over four in A ball, struck out a ton of batters. But by the way, everybody strikes a lot of batters out now. Has potential, but remember, he's lost a year of development. He's, what, two to three years away from being useful to anybody that's in a competitive or has a thought of competitiveness? So how is that hurting the Mets right now, who, by the way, have already restocked their system with their own draft picks, with this own this regime's own draft picks that probably like these guys just as good, if not better, than what they gave up? And by the way, one of the rumors that was part of that deal was David Peterson. And they kept him. Did you ever think they liked Peterson better than some of the guys they gave up? You didn't think that maybe because they actually have scouts and they have their own way of looking at things, that they know a little bit more than some prospect bloggers out there? Who all of a sudden, you know, whether it's, you know, Baseball America or some of the Mets blogs, all of a sudden they're all experts because they know somebody. I know scouts too who like and don't like guys. I throw stuff out there. It doesn't mean I know anymore. At the end, I trust that the guys in these organizations have a little bit more insight and information than I do, that you do, that the prospect bloggers do. And right now, again, a couple of starts, David Peterson looks pretty good. And Anthony Kay is not even starting in Toronto, which is essentially a year where, if, like I said, you should be putting these guys in to get some kind of you know, feeling, you know, what do you have there? He's coming out of the bullpen and he's doing very well. But I'm not going to cry over a bullpen arm, even if it's an elite bullpen arm, bullpen arm that he turns into, being traded for a top-of-the-rotation starter. Just not. 
And when you evaluate the process, you will never apologize from going for, well, you know, it was a third-place team. When they made the deal at the deadline, they felt they could compete and get in the playoffs and win, and they nearly did. And if they had made the playoffs, just like Washington, who won seven more games, who knows what could have happened. Once you get into this tournament, who knows? And you had a guy under control for the following year and a guy from the area that you probably could sign. So what part of the process is bad? What part makes uh, that makes sense? You guys love some of you c- collecting prospects and holding on to them like there's some kind of trophies, waiting for the right time to use them. Historically, the Mets with some of these uh, starters haven't really panned out. I mean, now you're seeing what Peterson, and I'm talking about post-Lugo and Gazelman. I'm not talking about Harvey DeGrom and those guys. I'm talking about post that wave of pitchers that came in. A lot of Omar Manaya's pitchers. Uh, Flexen didn't work out. Corey Oswald didn't work out. You know, now they acquired guys like Killamay. You know, Peterson's part of a, a Sandy Ardleson draft class. You know, they, they hadn't really, you know, they, they haven't been able to develop a reliever, reliever for God knows how long. So we're crying over guys that we don't know. We don't know what they're going to provide. One might be a reliever. The other one is years away. And if it turns out to be Jarrett Cole, this stuff happens. You trade things to get things. But the process is good. Now, here's the the real rub. Because I saw Mike Vaccaro's column in the post. And he's warning everybody, you know, what will Brody Van Wagenen do? You know, what will he try to save this season? And it's a fair concern you have an ownership group out the door that may want to make a final mark and try to save this season as their coup de gras you have a gm that's going to want to impress potentially his new boss and a gm that has the mindset of going for it a bit of a riverboat gambler and i don't have any problem with that being that this was such a sleepy organization for so long it's a refreshing thing i like that mindset obviously within reason trading anything for a player that could be a free agent would be very irresponsible and foolish to win in 2020. And I would criticize that. Unless there's a way that part of that deal is to sign that player for long term, like a Trevor Bauer, who I don't know why they would trade him, unless they they don't think they could sign him, who's right now had a terrible year with Cincinnati after he came over, had an ERA over six, and I think he's given up a couple of runs in 19 innings, looked downright dominant post-pandemic shutdown. Now, that's a guy that, you know, they'll probably look at in the free agent market, I would think, what a new owner would cash. A guy that's a little controversial that might not do well here in New York with the media because he's too honest, but story for another day. Going after and giving up assets for that uh, would be irresponsible. Now, would a team even bother? uh, Now, I guess if you're going to lose the players a free agent, you would. Not having a minor league season and just going by old scouting reports, or summation about players, would they even make a deal like that? Who knows? I don't think you're going to have an active trading deadline unless it's a veteran, uh, of you know that that's kind of the middling ground veteran, and you're saying, hey, you know, you, you, you're trading off salary, maybe, you know, maybe you're trying to help a friend as a GM, hoping that that builds a relationship because it's not really moving you in any direction. I don't know if how how much of that goes on in these days, but you know, maybe that'll happen. But he cannot go out and make a risky trade to save 2020. That would be irresponsible. And I would criticize him. I would never criticize the process with Stroman. Even though it probably wouldn't have been my first choice, I haven't criticized the process with Cano. Because I think at the time, you have to go back in the time and know the organization needed to make a splash. They needed to show that they were 
there was life and they were a viable team. They weren't, you know, the New York version of the Kansas City Royals. And getting Diaz to me still was a, a, an important, and because of the service time, because of the kind of potential he has, you had to give up a prospect, a top prospect. It was either going to be Kelnick or Jimenez or someone of that ilk. And they picked Jimenez over Kelnick, and that's their choice, and they made it for whatever reason, and we'll never know until maybe years later. And we don't know what Kelnick's going to be. Just because some prospect writers think he's the best thing since sliced bread, we don't know. And by the way, I've never seen prospects get stalked by New York writers like New Mets prospects that get traded since Brody Van Wagenen took over. Has, is it amazing? No other team's prospects get remembered by the media. They move on. This team, they get stalked to the point where Kelnick's mom had to tell the people to stop. He's not interested in playing into this nonsense. So that's where you stand. You know, Stroman made his decision. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna pay financially for it because you don't know what you're getting, and I think he's gonna suffer in the short term financially. But maybe in his mind he's playing the long game and God bless him for that. The Mets are in a lot of trouble. We know they're in a lot of trouble pitching wise. So are a lot of other teams. This was gonna be a wacky, ugly season. It's every bit coming to fruition like we thought. But it's gonna be its own character. It's gonna be its own little storyline, and that's what the league's history, and that's what it's all about. And then the final thing is, I don't look back. I don't look back. I don't criticize the process. I've supported it since day one, and I will continue to support how he went for it. But now he's got to be smart, Brody. And he's got to just play it out, give the young pitchers, the young arms their due, put them in there, let them get hit. You don't make the playoffs, you don't make the playoffs this year. Who cares? What, so the media makes jokes, oh, you couldn't make the playoffs in a league, in a season where 50% of the teams make the playoffs? But then if you tried to make the playoffs and try to go out and make a deal, oh, well, how could you make the playoffs in a season where it doesn't really, you know, everybody makes it and, you know, you don't know what it's really going to end? You can't win. You can't win. I was reading an old newspaper article I came across. It was a Knicks article when Al Bianchi was fired by the Knicks back in the late 80s. And he said in the article, and it was... So true. And it's probably, this has been the way of New York media and media in general since the age of time. That what bothered him as GM of the Knicks is that when he, he had Bill Cartwright and he needed a power forward or more of a rugged player to defend Patrick Ewing and he traded Cartwright for Oakley, the narrative immediately shifted from, well, you traded Cartwright for Oakley, but who's going to be a backup center? So here he gets, and that was a very good deal for both the Knicks and the Bulls, that deal, Cartwright for Oakley. Here he gets a very good all-star level, maybe the best defender in the league, it turned out to be, to protect Oakley, uh, Ewing in Ewing's prime. And the media is worried at that time about who the backup center is going to be for Patrick Ewing, who was at that time playing 40 minutes a night. So you're looking at about eight minutes you needed to plug the gap on. Eight minutes, what, 10 maybe? See what I mean? That's what you're dealing with in this town. And that's what this is all about. So that's the story. Forget the narrative, the crying, all the other hand-wringing, all the other speculation that Brody's got this diabolical plan to bring down the Mets or get another one of his clients in or make a crazy trade. I don't think he's a smart guy. He's gotten to where he has in life because he's smart, he's aggressive, he goes for it. That's why he's, he's an achiever. Guy's achieved. Look at his resume. He's achieved. Not many people are going to go to the head of both an agency and a Major League Baseball organization in their careers. So let's not pretend this is some idiot off the street. The idiots are the people that are sitting home writing about it sometimes. They're the idiots at times. Um, he knows what he's doing. Now, the owners, you know, going out the door, very little to lose. That's a different story. 
And if they they tell him, and that's his boss, you got to do this, then he's got to salute the stripes and do it, and that would be unfortunate. But this is by no means going to send the Mets into a tailspin long range. Short range, the Mets got hit. And by the way, once Syndergaard went down in March, when nobody was paying attention, when we weren't even thinking about it, I think we all knew it was bad, and we all knew how bad it was. Now it's coming to fruition about how difficult losing a top-of-the-rotation starter is on a team that was relying on lesser back-in-the-rotation options because none of those guys could step up and fill those voids consistently like a Wheeler could when he was here. And I don't even want to revisit that because that's crying over... I just don't want... I'm tired of it. You got to move forward. You got to look forward. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed this special edition of the Talking Mets podcast coming to you. Emergency. I call it emergency podcast. Setting the record straight. Kind of bringing everything together and really laying it out there and calming you all down and giving you a very balanced perspective. We'll be back, of course, with another edition of the Talking Mets podcast next week. Probably Sunday. We'll come back and get hopefully get back on the schedule unless some other crazy news come, comes out. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a personal Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast next weekend. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.